I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. It is perfectly natural in our culture for a child to ask its mother, how was I made? Or who made me? And this is a very, very powerful idea, but for example, it is not shared by the Chinese or by the Hindus. A Chinese child would not ask its mother, how was I made? A Chinese child might ask its mother, how did I grow? Which is an entirely different procedure from making. You see, when you make something, you put it together, you arrange parts, or you from the outside to the in as a, as a sculptor works on a stone or as the potter works on clay. But when you watch something growing, it works in exactly the opposite direction. It works from the inside to the outside. It expands, it burgeons, it blossoms. Welcome back to the Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and in today's episode, chatted with Mr. Dan John. He is a legend in the world of strength, coaching, exercise, fitness, getting freaking strong. Um, he has been doing it for over 30 years, written several books, one of which is with Pavel Zadzulin. Uh, Easy Strength, that's a good one. Uh, most recent one, Before We Go, and several others. Check out his work. He is prolific. He's all over the place. In this conversation, we get into all sorts of super interesting stuff um, in relation to strength training, in relation to philosophy, in relation to just goodness. I really enjoyed talking with John. Or, sorry, Dan, sorry. Two first names, that guy. There's very few true secrets in life. Uh, I always I always talk to my daughters about uh, whether it's true or not. But there's a village in Africa where all the men are in charge and the women are all subservient. And the reason is very simple: is that the men know the village secret. And when you become of age, they take you out as a young boy, beat the shit, out of you, knock a tooth out, you know, put scars on you, you know, really make your life miserable for a few days. And then they put you in a hut and they tell you the, the, tri- the secret of the tribe. And the secret of the tribe is there is no secret. Um, so enjoy the podcast. And uh, thank you so much for checking out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, we have uh, hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement, self-care kit, hollow foam roller, screw-on lids inside that thing. We store two size mile fast release balls, heavy-duty elastic band with a door anchor so you can adjust the height of that thing. Thank you so much for using the Amazon portal on the website. People are really actually doing that. 15 items were purchased last month. It was very exciting. I didn't make that much of it, but I made something. <laughs> and I really appreciate uh, you guys actually participating and helping out. It doesn't cost you anything. If you're going to buy any crap off the inter- interweb world, jump on to aligntherapy.com, go to the blog or podcast page on the right sidebar, click on Amazon through there. It takes you an extra three, well, literally probably 20 seconds, 15 seconds. And then no money off of you, just a little percentage of that goes to Align Podcast Foundation. I so greatly appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, Money is helpful for sure because it's not free to do the show, but the biggest thing is the appreciation. Like recognizing that there's people out there that care enough about what we're doing here to even, you know, just the thought that they're going in to purchase something through there to help help this thing out is just rad. I really, really appreciate it. And comments on iTunes are greatly appreciated as well. Uh, five stars, hopefully. 
and what's going on here? My thoughts for the day, if anyone gives a darn. Um, I've been looking at a, a study that probably a lot of people have heard of already, the hot cocoa, hot coffee versus cold beverage in relation to how we perceive others. When you're holding a warmer beverage, studies show that we end up perceiving people as being a little bit more warm and kind and gentle. And when we are holding a cold, icy beverage, we end up perceiving others as being a little bit more cold and icy. Pretty interesting. They describe that as it's stimulating a similar portion of the brain, the insula, which I think all that stuff, from my perspective, because I know so little about it, is, is pretty metaphorical for me. And uh, I, I think that sometimes when we reduce down these parts and we see from some fMRI that this, you know, blah, 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 oblongata was stimulated during blah, 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 we all of a sudden become comfortable in feeling like we understand the brain, feeling like we understand the body because we see some type of indication that there's stimulation there. And I think it's just, it's, it's so interesting how little we know about this human experience and how comfortable we become in thinking that we know something. What the heck am I talking about? I apologize. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast. The reason that I was mentioning that is uh, when we're holding a warm beverage or a cold beverage that affects our, our perception of the world, I would absolutely say that the same thing happens in reference to holding tension in our body or support and stability in our body or strength and power. If we are feeling tense in our neck and tense in our back and tense in our what have you, that ends up uh, fractaling through the whole entire system there and manifesting in our perception of the world. And then we end up continuing this feedback loop of I see shit, I receive shit, and then back and forth through that. Let's start looking at the body as an outlet that we can change our whole reality. So, you want stability and support in your life, look for stability and support in your body, and that will transmit through, I think. Really quick thing before we go in relation to our perception of stuff, uh, a quote that I heard Russell Brand mention from somebody else, it's not, it's not his quote, and I'm paraphrasing, be quick to see the positive aspects of religion. I think it's very easy to look at religions around the world, especially if you are dogmatic about a certain perspective of something, um, look at everyone else as being, being silly or naive or wrong or whatever it is. And, uh, or if you're, you know, agnostic or atheist or whatnot, then everybody's silly and wrong. Um, I think that that again could potentially be a part of a, a certain degree of contraction in ourself. If you are completely free and mobile and strong and stable and content in yourself, then we end up seeing the positive aspects of people around us. And I think that same goes with religion. If your tendency is to see the negative parts of a thing, I think it might be relevant to come back, circle back and look at yourself. And oftentimes we will see some congruences with things that make us uncomfortable in our outside world in relation to what is going on in the inside. All right. Um, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast with Mr. Dan John. Align Podcast. In my perfect universe, all mimes be beaten up. Uh, <laughs> I hate mimes. <laughs> Always taunted you. Um, but the thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting was uh, in relation to the Warren Buffett and these correlations between, you know, if you do, how you do anything is how you do everything, essentially. You know, and so you start looking at how you maintain your house. That might kind of sort of relate to how you maintain your body as well. You know, could you maybe potentially-ish well, get into that? Let's, let's go two directions here. Uh, I don't mind that either. Uh, but I always joke that there's the three F's that are all the same. Fitness, finance, and relationships. And there's <laughs> joke. But in life, the hucksters are always trying to push the overnight. So, you know, you're at a bar, you pop your Viagra, and you, you go on Tinder. Well, and then you complain to me a couple of years from now, you don't have a relationship. Well, or you want to have kids, but you don't. Well, of course you don't. You wanted the fast track. And I guess it works. 
And then, of course, you'll go on, you know, you'll go to a thing. And uh, I go to a lot of these uh, success seminars, and there's always these people hucking these, you know, very quick, very fast, um, you know, I wouldn't say overnight millionaire. Well, there's actually books called that. Uh, you know, how to make millions by selling with no money down and all this nonsense. And the truth is, none of that works. It works for the person selling the book. And in fitness, we have, um, you know, two weeks to a tighter tummy and all that other stuff. Uh, so for me, I, I see the most important parts of life to be, uh, you know, what Warren Buffett would tell you. You know, you, you buy and hold for a long time. Yeah. Um, I feel that way. You know, I started lifting weights in 1965. Well, you know, I... You know, I've held for a long time that weightlifting makes you stronger. Um, and the other thing you say about your house, um, in now what, I again, again, almost every book I have, Intervention, I mentioned it, Can You Go? I talk about the importance of menus and shopping lists and all that. And people always discount menus and shopping lists and all that kind of thing. And I'm always amazed because for me, uh, uh, we have a, we had a, when the girls were young, we had a chore list. We did certain chores certain days of the week. Uh, white laundry was Monday, dark laundry was Tuesday, the bathrooms were Wednesday. And I talked to people and they go, well, why are you so funny about it? It was because, well, when do you do white laundry? Oh, you know, when it, you know. So your brain can only handle so much, in, you know, so much input. Uh, and I think a lot of people, um, they go online, they have no philosophy, so they bounce from diet to diet, exercise program to exercise, exercise to exercise, uh, and they have no they have no shopping list. They have no menu. So when I look at stuff, I have a shopping list. I know what I want to do. I know where I want to be. You know, I know I know that on Monday I want this, and on Tuesday I want that. And so yeah, I I think there's an absolute direct correlation. Uh, you know, I basically retired in 2010. I was uh, 53, I guess, and um, people said, "Well, how did you, you know, how did you get enough resources to?" It's like, well, didn't you listen to all those people telling you growing up about stay debt free, you know, put money away? Well, yeah. Well, did you do it? Well, no. Well, that's I did. So how do you get really strong? We well, just show up in the weight room three days a week and lift weights. You know, eight years later, you're pretty damn strong. You know, that's so, yeah, there is no, there isn't, there's very few true secrets in life. Yeah. Uh, I always, I always talk to my daughters about uh, whether it's true or not, but there's a village in Africa where all the men are in charge and the women are all subservient. And the reason is very simple, is that the men know the village secret. And when you become of age, they take you out as a young boy, beat the shit out of you, knock a tooth out. You know, put scars on you, you know, really make your life miserable for a few days. And then they put you in a hut and they tell you the, the, tri the secret of the tribe. And the secret of the tribe is there is no secret. Yeah. And so I'm telling everybody in my career, the secret of the tribe is there is no secret. Um, and I'm not a huckster. I don't, uh, you know, I don't believe in these get rich and pyramid schemes and fitness uh, because there's all, you know, I can't, I wouldn't sleep well, don't believe me. So, yeah, it's all unrelated. There's no, yeah, all unrelated, everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a quote. I don't think it was warm. I think it might have been Jim Rohn, and this isn't how he said it either, but it was something along the lines of motivation is what stimulates change and habit is what keeps it going. It's not what he said, but it's something along those lines, but it's that habit. That's the thing we miss. It's like we have those moments of spark, like, ha ha, cool, I'm going to do some squats or I'm going to clean my room or whatever, you know, but it's, it's like, cool. That was a step. Now we need to maintain that. You see, and I don't even trust habits as much as a lot of people do. Uh, I like, uh, I like when it's written down on the, on the, you know, if you put it up on the, the refrigerator wall and you look and it says, you know, today you clean the bathroom and well, you just kind of go clean the bathrooms. It's just not that big a deal. And you forget the second the bathrooms are all clean. You're like, all right. And you walk away. I like that even better. Um, you know, I believe as when you in performance, it's all about principles and it's all about, um, you know, every sport, every, every everything important in life is, has principles. 
if you do this, this will allow you to win. But for the rest of life, really, most of life, it's just getting the, and it's not, I tell people this all the time, RSVPing a bride about being at the wedding is important. And you can make her life a lot easier by checking yes or no and send, letting her know. So, so much of life is really just checking the box, yes or no. And I like to leave all my creativity and my enthusiasm and all the other stuff for those really focused things that take all my energy. Yeah. Uh, writing a book or coming up with a new way to explain something or, you know, competing as a thrower. You know, um, <laughs> our principle for, for throwers is throw far or die. Yeah. And uh, I ask you after a track meet, if you're still alive, I say, did you throw far? And if you say yes, good. We don't change anything. If you say no, then we address as many things as we can. And the other thing, too, is I, I then, for the rest of my career, try to remember what I, the problem you came up with, and I'll teach my next athletes to be wary of this thing, too, because if you don't throw far, you're not a good thrower. Yeah. So when I, when I step back, I mean, I don't know what's important to your audience, um, but if it's, it's a principles-based thing, I was talking to Pat Flynn about it. And really, I mean, for certain things like, you know, if you need mobility, he says you should probably do a two-minute bear crawl every day and do your hand, uh, check that, hip flexor stretch every couple of hours. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, you're right. That's, it pretty much covers it. Bear crawl and hip flexor stretch. And it's like, well, I guess we could make it more complicated, but really do those things for a couple of weeks and that might be good enough. And that's, but what happens is we, we get so confused. We, we turn this and this and this and this and this and that. And then we, in, in our industry, we try to make that those, all those options, they just get in the way of, it can be as simple as a two minute bear crawl and hip flexor stretch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's another quote that I don't know who said this one either. I don't know who said any quote really, but it, it was it was the the difference, the separator between elite athletes or the elite and everybody else is the mastery of the basics. Absolutely, you know, and that's that's there's it. no question, no question about that. Uh, it is stunning to watch the German discus throwers train uh, because they don't do anything special. Right. You watch them, it's like, yeah, we do that. Well, you do want to, you're, you're looking at it and you're saying, we do the same thing. Yeah, we do the same thing. Okay, look again. Oh, he's doing it the same every time. He's doing it the same every time. Right. He's actually concerned about, and their, their attention to detail. Uh, that's uh, one of the coaching principles I used to have with a young coach of mine, Casey Sutera. Attention to detail. And man, you almost, I, if I could do coaching all again, I would hire two assistant coaches, one whose job it was is to be attention to detail, and the other one is to everybody daily has to improve 1% on something. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't even have, I mean, I don't even know how to have a defensive back coach. Because if you focus on details and getting a tiny bit better, great things happen. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, uh, they say that Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist, the musician, yeah. he... He is a, it's worth your time to listen to him do the scales. Yeah. Just pr to, to hear him warm up because every, it's always exact and it's always perfect. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard Yo-Yo Ma mention is in relation to the, the music between the music, essentially. So the notes between, oh. you know, so it's, the, it's that connection. I talk about this, I think, almost every episode, not in relation to Yo-Yo Ma specifically, but just this is as far as what we're talking to with the audience, like this is pretty much it. The music between the music, you know, and that how do we, you know, how do you do the lift in this reference? And then how do you put the weights back? And then how do you walk to the next lift? And how'd you walk into the gym? How'd you get out of your car? You know, we're always training. And it's that attention to detail that I think our reality is lacking. And that's why we're, you know, if you look at our healthcare industry, that's where we're at. I think it's that lack of detail in our movement practice you know i was at equinox gym in uh chicago and i was working with my good friend ann and one of the things i tried to explain to the trainers we're working with is how they pick we were doing a kettlebell workout and 
And they're not bad people, and I'm not throwing them under the bus. But they never realize that when you swing a kettlebell, you put it in the ground, you then hinge yourself straight up, yeah. and then you walk away from the bell. So the lift isn't over until you stand tall and walk away. Yeah. And I, I, I'm kind of weird about that. I always, when I'm coaching throwers, we always throw the discus, catch yourself balanced, walk out the back under control. Why? Because that's what's going to happen at the world championships. So you're always thinking, what is the safest, most perfect technique? And it is, it's, it's annoying, frankly. It's, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's anal retentive, but that's where greatness comes from. If you talk to fighter pilots, fighter pilots who are alive, now luck is involved. I mean, bad things do happen up in the sky, but the more they, the more exacting they are with their checklists and how they punch on the radar at the, uh, at the right time, the, the more likely they are to stay alive. And I, so I listened to fighter pilots, uh, special forces guys. Uh, the problem we have in sports is that DNA is such a, uh, genetics is so important. But there are occasionally athletes, I'll sit down with them and go, hey, you didn't have the best DNA in the world. Uh, uh, Pitowski, the great Polish thrower, uh, Glenn Passy, uh, national champion, discus thrower at 176 pounds, for God's sakes. You talk to these guys, it's like you walk away going, I do everything wrong. But it's funny because it is the attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, one of the analogies that was, I was thinking about on the way here is, is thinking of like, if you crease a piece of paper, then in the future, when you will bend that paper, it will tend to bend at the point of that crease. <laughs> you know, and, sure. I, and I think that that in relation to, to the, 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 the you know, luck in fighter pilots, Sometimes, yes, you know, like it was just a, you know, whatever. But yeah. in general, it's where did they choose those creases? And then when shit hits the fan, whoo, you end up creasing at those points that you've already prepared. And that comes down to the crease of the hip hinge if you want to go, you know, real literal. But right. everything. But everything. And, you know, where, uh, as a, when you're a football coach, it's argued that even if it's a 70 to nothing blowout, the game comes down to five plays. And when you really spend time studying, the reason I like to talk about American football and track and field is because track and field is ultimate etching sport. It's totally etching. You know, you etch the movement over eight, ten years. You do the same thing over and over. Whereas with American football, you got 11 on 11, you got seven officials, you've got Heck, seven just on the field. You also have the down markers and the timekeepers and the, the fans. And there's so much noise, and so much going on that I like both of those extremes to talk about things. Uh, yet something as complex as an American football game, it can come down to the fact that you overlooked some fundamental thing. You know, uh, one of my friends, Lonnie Wade, is a football coach. And we had this discussion about practicing those five things that cost high school football games generally. It's funny because, and do it day one in the first day of practice. It's funny to say it, but it's, it's as simple as like catching a punt. Catching a punt at the high school level can turn, can turn not catching a punt, I should, should say, can turn a game either way. Hmm. Uh, a two-point conversion. Turn a point, uh, turn a game either way. Onside kicks, turn. I mean, turn a championship either way. And so there's a certain small number of things. And so, why at the beginning of the year you say these are five things outside of block, tackle, and fall of the ball that we're going to actually emphasize. And when it comes down to what you call the crease, we're going to have a better crease than your crease. Right. Our crease is going to be in the right, and it, not a better spot. Well. A spot that we think we can win with. More effective. Yeah. You you haven't practiced two-point conversions, and we've spent every practice all season long a f two, three minutes on it. Yeah. Two, three, a minute on it. Ten seconds on it. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a thing in football where you take a knee. Uh, or, and there's another called taking safety. Uh, there's a movie with Tom Cruise called All the Right Moves, I think. If they had just taken the safety, they would have won the game. 
And it's funny because when you yell, take, just take a safety. If you haven't practiced it, the kids won't do it because you're giving points to the other team. Well, okay, yeah, we're giving points. We're taking time off. It's, you know, it's, it's complex, but it's, you don't have, in those 25 seconds, you don't have time to explain it. So you have to practice it. You have to put that, like you said, that crease in. You want that crease in in August, not in November. Right, right, right. So yeah, so yeah, much of much of what I do in coaching is really just trying to set them up with such a foundation that it's very easy to take off from there. Uh, I do believe that the broader the foundation, the deep, the deeper, the wider the foundation, the higher the athlete can do. Now everybody knows that. But the problem with foundational work is it's not very sexy. Hmm. But the funny thing is, at the top, it's not very sexy either. Yeah. You know, yeah. none of it's very sexy, you know, frankly. Yeah. Sometimes the results can be kind of sexy. Oh, absolutely. But when people ask you what's your secret, you say, "Well, I lifted weights three days a week and threw the discus four days a week." They kind of they want they want to know where the magic is. Where's the genie? Right. Yeah, yeah, you can always take steroids. That's always, that's uh, always, that's well, you know, a lot of guys do, and a lot of guys still aren't very good in throwers. It's, that's embarrassing. I competed against a guy, and he was he was he wasn't very good. So at this meet, and he goes, "So damn, what are you taking?" And he, and he seriously I go, "Well, I'm clean." And he goes, "Come on, really?" And I go, "Wait, you're on drugs?" And I can remember thinking, "Oh my God, you're this bad as a thrower, and you're on drugs." What would you be like? Clean. I mean, you must be just horrific. I didn't say anything, but I was like, oh my God, you know? Well, that's a similar thing with, with like female rock climbers or female anything for that matter, because they don't have that much natural, you know, testosterone driven strength. They end up being technically significantly more efficacious. You know, they're, they're better yeah. climbers. Yeah. Right. And it's, I think that's one of those things, like it may, maybe if you're Richtering, you know, and you're just, you were just nailing every aspect of everything that you're doing and you're still sore and tired. It's like, maybe, you know, you're getting you're paid millions of bucks each year. It's like, oh, I don't know, whatever, do, do what you do. But if you're not at that point, like back to the basics. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And rock climbing is an interesting choice of an example because, uh, the community in rock climbing is isn't competitive. Like, right? They're they're kind. Of, they remind me of skateboarders, where you. It's a very. I guess rock climbers are a very supportive community. Yeah. Uh, they don't. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's there's not a lot of sports. Uh, there's not a lot of things in life that are like that. Uh, I know surfers now will put up, uh, you know, uh, they'll beat up, you know, outsiders, which I think is weird because when I grew up, all the surfers were stoners. Uh, now they're badasses, which is a hard thing for me to put my nice. head together on. They're still stoners. They'll just kick your ass. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. So that's one thing I'm very impressed with the rock climbing community is that they're very, very supportive. And if you do something amazing, uh, you just walk down and get in your car and go home. Yeah. You don't uh, make a big deal out of it. Uh, I was a friend of mine is a rock climber. And he told me about this guy that did this really difficult climb in Colorado, got to the top and walked down the hill. Yet he became famous because of word of mouth in the rock climbing community, which I found to be a fascinating story. Right. Uh, the early, do you know about Jim Jones here in Salt Lake? No, tell me. Okay, that's uh, Mark Twight's place. Mark hates this, but he's the guy that did the train the guys for 300. And well, the original Jim Jones had a climbing wall that went okay up, and then the wall went that way. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, Over overhang is what that's called. Overhang, yeah. And I can remember going to the gym and looking at that, cause, you know, because I was doing snatches and they wanted me to help with some lifts. And I looked at that and I thought, man, if you can do that, if you can do that, you don't really need to worry about a lot of other stuff. <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, that was, one of, was, that was one of the things I was, I was reading in your, in your, in your book in relation to getting, getting big, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you get big? 
And one of the things that you that you put down there is like, well, don't get cold, don't move around a lot, other than what's your you know your your main training thing, you know, and eat a lot, a lot of protein. You know, it's just like I'm like, oh well, okay, I guess that means I don't really want to get that big. <laughs> you know, I would rather climb stuff and surf. You know, it's like there's no one way. It's what yeah, you want. The, the hardest two things I know are to lose body fat and to gain uh, muscle mass, lean body mass. And people think, you know, you'll talk to some newbie and they'll go, yeah, I don't want to get too big. It's like, you have no idea how hard it is to get big. Mm. It's really hard. I mean, uh, when I did, I was squatting five days a week, snatching and cleaning and jerking three days a week, eating almost. When I wasn't training, I was eating. Uh, I had a hard time sleeping at night because my hands hurt so much from um, the barbells. You know, I'd wake up at night and my hands would ache. My because you know you hold the, the hook grip on the Olympic bars like that, and my thumbs would ache and my hands would. I, mean, I was constantly in pain. Yeah, I mean you know, so I put on a lot of weight in a couple of months, and people go, "Oh, how'd you do it?" And it's like, oh, yeah, two and a half hours a day in the weight room, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard, and so the rest of the time is like we always talk about the lazy football player. You know, if you're playing football in double sessions, you barely walk to the fridge. I mean, you're constantly asking other people to get you stuff because double sessions in football are exhausting. To keep to not lose thirty pounds, you have to just not move. If you're not on the field, you're not moving. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of people kind of want to do this thing where they get six pack abs and big biceps and pecs and, but they don't want to get their body weight over some imaginary number. And they also want to, you know, ride kayaks and right. do a triathlon. And it's like, you know, uh, we say in, in, in ours, my sports, if you chase two rabbits, you go home hungry. And most people I know chase 10 rabbits. And that's why most people don't ever get, you know, that's why most people don't ever get anything done. It's like, you know, people ask me, last year I came out, I had three books published last year. Three. One, two, three. And other people in the industry go, well, how'd you do it? And it's like, oh, I, yeah, I, I write every day and I finish what I start. And when I'm not writing, I'm thinking about, I'll be in a conversation and I'll take a note on something I thought the person said was interesting. And uh, I don't watch network TV and I I don't watch a lot of porn and I don't... Uh, <laughs> I like the a lot of porn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, pull them out. No more than 13 hours a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you preach that, then you're hooked. <laughs> you know, um, I... Don't, I try not to waste a lot of time. Uh, when I do road trips, I always work in the hotel room because yeah. I can get work done. It's like the secret of getting a lot of books done in a year is the same secret that like, <clears throat> you know, buy low, sell high. <clears throat> it's no secret at all. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing. You know, it's the hard, every area of life is always going to come around the same things. And, you know, you have to, you can't chase 20 rabbits and most people I know are chasing rabbits. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I, I notice with people, cause I, I tend to kind of merge more with like the climbing and the dancing and the surfing and more like movement practice or, 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 or patterns, I guess, which everything's yeah. patterns, but that, that type of pattern. And what I notice when I see people with the huge jacked up muscles, like an uneducated eye might look at that and be like, well, they're probably going to be really good. I look at that and be like a long shot, like very, like if they are good at this thing, I will be very impressed. It's so rare because it's that isolation and that development. Sometimes you miss the patterning, you know, or the complexity of sure, patterns. Sure. You've simplified it. But hinging, that's the one thing that the hinge, that's some, that is a principle that is un, an umbrella that supersedes everything that does relate to, I think, every activity that I can think of. Let me add, let me add the other one too is loaded carries. Yeah. So if you're training anybody to be better at any kind of sport or movement, uh, as a strength coach, you focus on the hinge and the loaded carry. The hinge uh, is the most powerful, explosive thing the human body can do. But the loaded carry family builds work capacity. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're right. And it's, 
when you talk about, you know, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane, uh, generally they, you, they get, it's the hinge and the load of carry they can't do. They're good at pushing. They're pu- good at pulling. Sometimes they're good at squatting, but then they can't do anything with that. Um, you know, I, I, I got a lot of friends who are powerlifters and they'll try something like the Highland games and discover that they are terrible. They have this huge engine, but they can't do anything with it. Uh, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with powerlifting. But when you, of course, there is an, an axiom: don't ever mess in another man's sport. But uh, you, you know, you you bench press like this, but you throw the shot as a stress reflex. So your big bench might look shot putty, but it's two different things. Yeah. And maybe you can do twenty five pull ups at a gym, but when you're rock climbing, you're doing one finger pull ups. And maybe while you're pulling up, you're trying to throw that left leg up higher. Yeah. So it's not at all the same. Yeah. I mean, it's not at all the same. What, you they, know? what they miss between the bench and the conversion into a shot put is the relation to the ground. You know, you don't have that integration sure, of your sure. pushing, connecting to your feet, and you're able to move all the way through the hips up into the hand. That's the, the highest expression of power, exactly. right, in, my, in my opinion. Can we get into a little bit for people specifics on like what is a hinge what the heck are we talking about and then the loaded carry and maybe as well what our modern lifestyles is doing to the hips and how we can remedy that sure well the hip is uh, the hinge pardon me is when the hip is at maximal bend and the knees have a minimal bend best way to think of it is a standing long jump when you throw your arms back and you jump and you leap as far forward as you can uh, interesting, the world record is 14 feet. So in case you're feeling good about yourself, go do a standing long jump and get back to me when you're close to 14 feet. Um, so the hinge is how you tackle somebody. It's how you snap up and touch the rim. It's how you make a rebound. It's as you attack into a layup. So most people know the hinge uh, from seeing it in sports. What most people don't realize is that you can train it really well in the weight room. Uh, you can do deadlifts. That would be a little slower. The Olympic lifts are very good for that. The kettlebell swing is excellent for it. And, of course, standing long jumps and vertical jumps are really good, too. Uh, it's the most powerful thing we can do, and yet most people never do anything like it for in their training. Hmm. Uh, the loaded carry families, anytime you put something on. So farmer walks is when you carry stuff in your hands. Suitcase walk is when you carry one, just with one hand. Uh, sled poles, pushing prowlers. <clears throat> we do bear hugs with weights, and of course backpacking, which most people now call rucking, but you know for years we just called it a loaded carry. But and then in our gym we combine them, so you're doing the uh, farmer walk with the heavy backpack, dragging the sled. And that's uh, one of the best things I know. It's interesting because that one I just described to you feels like a caper toss in the Highland Games. It actually feels like it feels. It's exhausting. You know, you've got you're trying to. It's kind of a hamstring run when you're loaded like that. You you can't you can't glute off the ground like a sprinter does. You know where they where they they're like a rubber ball. They go boing boing boing. And they're sprinters. Sprinters don't sprint like people think. Uh, their big toe, their ass explodes, their big toe hits, they bounce down the track. Bounce, 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 bounce. When you do a caber toss in the Highland Games, the load, you, you can't run like that. You have to almost grab the ground and paw yourself forward. Right. So it is interesting. Sometimes you'll, you'll have someone do loaded carries who's in really good shape, and they get destroyed because they're in shape for running up hills uh, they're in shape for this and they're in shape for that, but they've never had their hamstrings do so much work, and so you see them just gas out. And of course, at the same time, most people don't have the forearm strength to do the farmer bars, and so you see them just kind of ah, and just die, which is kind of fun. I mean, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you get into uh, more specifics on why the loaded carries or maybe like farmer walk versus asymmetrical loaded carries or the briefcase hold or, you know, it's like what, 
for people that maybe are like, why does that matter? Because it's not making my pecs bigger. You know, like what what is it? Yeah, and that's why I will continue to defeat them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Right. Because if you're still Frankenstein-based trainer, God bless you, I will destroy you. Uh, well, <laughs> I never did them. In about 99, 2000, uh, my friend Mike Rosenberg got me into them. And even though I was an older, uh, it's weird. In my early, mid, and late 40s, I had the best track seasons in my life with the Olympic implements. Uh, funny, I still get emails from some of these, well, I call them young, but I just got an email uh, the other day from a two-time Olympian who uh, didn't make the team and is now very interested in my training methods. Of course, four years ago, it would have been a little bit better, but today's fine, too. And what happened with me is when I started doing the loaded carries, uh, I started throwing farther again. Uh, of course, I was in my 40s, so that anything that happens in your 40s, you have to pay attention to. People like Greg Cook thinks it's because loaded carries increases your work capacity. So when I started doing farmer walks, my engine got bigger. Stu McGill goes on to, to add even more to it that exercises like the suitcase carry work rotary stability so hard that... Uh, Sorry, I thought there was something here. Yeah. They work rotary stability so hard. Remember, throwing is more about anti-rotation than is rotation. You know, you throw the discus 10,000 times a year. You don't need more rotation. You need anti-rotation. Right. So what I think is that both Gray and Stu are right. We are building, I hate to call them muscles. We are building those systems that generally get ignored in traditional weight training. Plus, you can always go farther with a loaded carry. There are no reps or sets in loaded carries. You just pick it up, you go and come back. Uh, I always recommend go and come back and then do a different one. I don't believe in doing it. There is only one I recommend doing three in a row. But other than that, once you come back, whatever it is, you can go from suitcase carry to overhead one-arm carry, we'll call it weight or walk. Always change every time you come back. Uh, farmer walk, come back. Farmer walk with a sled, come back. Farmer walk the sled, backpack, come back. There you go. There's a great workout. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like that is because I don't ever want you compromising and getting a mind game. So you know how you, I don't know, we, can, we call it brother line in football is where you're doing a tackling drill and this kid who's not very good suddenly makes – an NFL level of tackle, it's because his buddy jumped up or faked, faked the great tackle. And so what I don't want in farmer walking is you brother-in-law yourself. You have a real hard one and go, oh, man, I'll never do that again. Yeah. If I have you repeat it, you'll have that thought. If we move to another movement, you'll go hard again and come back. So, yeah. The, yeah. the the image that's coming up for me as you're saying that, which I haven't thought about this, but it's almost like that anti-rotation is like, the, I was thinking of a, of a dreidel, you know, you're loading, you want to load it up and, and get that, the string spun around that good and tight and then zzz, then you can let it go. And I, I feel like with the farmer care or any kind of like, you know, midsection supportive type work, yeah. you're kind of, you're kind of loading that spring or loading, you know, exactly. wrapping that, the, the string around that. And right. then when you want to, you're able to release it. But so many people just have this open strings and they've never really integrated their midsection. And it feels to me like that the, the farmer care, especially an asymmetrical one, would really help integrate that through the whole body. Is that, is that kind of sort of yeah. something? So just for clarity, two hand farmer walk, one hand suitcase carry. Yeah. So you can call it asymmetrical, I guess, but you'll lose your audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But yes, very much so. And also too, you are moving load over time, over distance, and that is very unusual in the weight room. You don't see many people carry things in the weight room. Right. Yet, when you go to places that do, you usually find a pretty good gym. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's lacking. It's the, biggest, it's the biggest gap in most people's training. Right. And that's why things like the Highland Games are really great, you know, or like yard work in your backyard, for example. Yard work, for, uh, you know, uh, when I was at Utah State, the recruiting farmer boys was starting to disappear. Hmm. And uh, my coach, Coach Mon, would tell me, you know, 
he never had to worry about his athletes in the offseason because a lot like Glenn Passy and L.J. Sylvester and all the others would go home for the summer and work on the ranch. And they would like, Passy famously picked up 40-pound hay bales all summer and his job was to throw them into the loft. Well, if you spend eight hours a day throwing 40 pounds into a loft, do you really need to go lift weights? Do you really need to? That is perfectly, you pick up the hay bale and you throw it. Pick it up, throw it, pick it up, throw it. Well, and then of course the guys who came from the dairy tradition, uh, they did farmer walks because that's how you got the milk from here to there. And so what we're doing, I guess, is, and honestly, if your off season was picking up 40 pounds and throwing it for a long time and then carrying 60 pounds in each hand for, you know, for a couple hours, you'd have a pretty good off season. You wouldn't have to worry about your biceps. Uh, the other thing too, so the other thing too, is that those guys lived at about 9% body fat. And uh, so, and it's funny that, I had one of my athletes one time say he couldn't believe that he weighed 162 in high school. And I said, well, it was a different time. When I was in high school, a 162 to 175 was the average high school football player. We could all, we could out, we were stronger than you. I could, I mean, I can show you the numbers from my high school team to some current teams. My 75 team is stronger than the 2010 team. But you look at the body weights on the roster and they're 30, 40, 50 pounds heavier than us. Hmm. Well, that's not 30, 45, 50 pounds of muscle. Yeah. It's fat. Yeah. So, you know, you got a guy who works on a farm all day and he's lean and has high work capacity. Yeah. Probably gonna throw the discus pretty far. Yeah. You know, another, another thing you mentioned in the, in the, the book, um, what was the recent one here? Right. What was the most recent one? It says, it says before we go, before we go. Yeah. Um, the, one of the things you mentioned in there was, was some of, um, Yonda or Yonda's work and, yeah. and phasic versus tonic muscles, Yeah. you know, and that's something that I wanted to get into with you, especially with like so many people. Can we, can we break that down a little bit before we get kind of, well, sure, sure. Into- uh, Lad Yonda was a Czechoslovakian researcher who struggled with diabetes, and uh, he observed certain things that seemed to be very true. Uh, with illness, uh, injury, or age, certain muscles tighten, and certain muscles weaken. And what happens is, is with illness, age, and injury, we tend to become idle again. Mm-hmm. So your pecs tighten, your biceps tighten, your hip flexors tighten, your hamstrings tighten. Well, if you want to turn yourself into an old man, bench press, curl, and leg press. Because <laughs> you'll be tight here right. and here. And you'll turn yourself into an old man. Yeah. Certain muscles get weaker as you age. Uh, Sex and the City has that great episode about the butt, saggy butt. Uh, the butt weakens with age. Uh, a couple of years back, you kept hearing quad dominant, but really what was happening is not quad dominant. It's the fact that what Yonder called and Stu McGill called gluteal amnesia. The butt falls yeah. asleep. And so you got to walk somehow. I got a buddy who just had knee surgery and he walks like a very old man now because he has to, he can't push off of his yeah. big toe and stride. He has to kind of lift his legs up. So I'm concerned that his butt is going to fall asleep in the next few years. Or already so, has. Yeah, your butt, your deltoids, your triceps, and your ab wall are, are all kind of fast-twitch muscles that weaken as you age. It's interesting because if you that's why throwing is such an important thing for an older person to do. Uh, I, that's one thing I, uh, Mike and I with. Today's Tuesday, and today's the day we alternate. I hate, I actually don't like today. Uh, today's the day we alternate between concept two rower and medicine ball throws. So, and Mike does the aerodynamics, he has a little back injury now. So, 500 meter row, and then we play catch with the 5K or about 11 pound medicine ball. And we just throw it a bunch of different ways. And I think the concept two rower isn't a good thing. Uh, it gets you sweaty, but you need to balance the concept two rower with either head presses or throws. 
because the rower is making you old, <laughs> in yeah. a sense. I mean, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and the throws are bringing you back up to explosive fast swishing. So if all you have time to think about, if all you can have time to do is stretch the pecs, biceps, hip flexors, and hamstrings, and work the butt and deltoids, triceps, to do that, you squat or swing and then overhead press. Overhead press and deadlift, overhead press and swing, overhead press and intelligent squatting uh, is really all you need. Yeah. Now, all you need is always such a. What what I mean? What what does all you need mean? I don't know. But, it depends on and, what you want. What you want. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it is the those are that would be the fountain of youth. Yeah. My question for you is that so I do some you know specific isolation of like rhomboid and mid low trap sure. and some some rotator cuff stuff and some things to kind of help bring myself right. back into my body essentially and get out of this fetal position that we all develop in through high school and you know just yeah. lifestyle in general. Um, my question for you is, is at what point did we isolate these, these muscles that have been, you know, weakened over the years to the point that great, they're stronger, but now they're, they still haven't, you haven't plugged them in to the rest of the body. Okay. That's Yonda's. Okay. So Yonda's idea. All right. Um, his idea with the X cross is that if every time I stretch my hip flexor and do a glute exercise, Okay, I can just do hip flexors. That would work okay. I can just do butt work, swings and goblet squats, and that would work okay. But the synergy of doing both at the same time is what you want. Yeah. So at my gym, for example, we do swings, goblet squats, march in place, march in place uh, to bring the pelvic bowl underneath, and then very often hip flexor stretches. So it's, it's not unusual for our rest period to be stretches. Pec stretches, bicep stretches, hamstring stretches. I don't believe in rest periods in the gym. I think you should do mobility or flexibility between them during rest periods. Yeah. Or anything else you think. All that other garbage that you think is important, you do that as a rest period. So what you're trying to do is if you blend the two of them, like I said here, you have a chance to... Uh, <laughs> I said synergy already, but that's the best word for it. You get the synergistic response. And the truth is, and we knew this back in the 80s, is that good nutrition, drinking more water, training the pelvic core correctly, uh, working the press correctly, tended to give you, <laughs> you expect four units out of it. You put four in, you expect four out, but you get eight units out. Right. So that's, that's true synergy. Uh, it's the it's the concept of catalyst in chemistry. Um, if you take a little bit of cigarette ash and put it on a night uh, a sugar cube, you can light a sugar cube on fire and make caramel. Uh, if you don't have the cigarette ash and you light, you can have a match on that thing for days and nothing would happen. Mm. So I think the same thing. I think I think training together is the catalyst of, of that huge explosion you got on the other side. Yeah. I, I, I think sometimes it, it can become maybe a little daunting for people as far as like, you know, isolation's bad. Isolation's good sometimes. I, you know, is there some way to kind of know for an individual, at what point do I isolate this? Because it's so disintegrated and just off and, you know, it's amnesia. Yeah. And at what point do I just focus on goblet squats and snatches and things that are just full integration type work? <laughs> well, see, we go, see, we don't have a middle. <laughs> see, <laughs> It's all, it's all isolation. It's all complex. There's a there's a place for everything. The, one of the things I would like, or, and the way we do things here is, we toss in isolation work as kind of a thing, but we have it. We have. I, I'm a big fan of some isolation. We have a workout called Buns and Guns, and Buns is a, a sequence of. There's several variations, but. Hip thrusters, gobble squats, swings, farmer walk, hip flexor stretch. You do that maybe twice. And guns is curls and tricep extension, buns and guns. 
And it's funny because the guns part of the workout, and we have probably four or five different variations, is really, I mean, you really feel it, and it's tough. But the guns part is so emotionally tonic in the old sense of tonic, like gin and tonic, that you're actually happy with me again. Oh, look, my, I got a pump in my arms and I'm happy. So we humans tend to need both. So generally, like in theology, the answer is almost universally both and. Uh, and either or is always the lowest level of thinking. That's one of the problems I have is in uh, the modern political climate, you know, this either or we've gotten into. Right. Uh, you know, only, it just shows how poorly educated, I mean, I'm not saying, yeah, I do, I have a great education. I come from the great books tradition, uh, lots and lots and lots of excellent mentors, and instructors and professors. So I, I, I learned early that, you know, there's always, always two sides of an argument. Generally, both have excellent points. My job as a big kid is to find, is to make a choice and go. So when I coach people, isolation is, a, you know, this isn't moral theology. It's not good or bad. There's a place for it. There's a place for, uh, there is a place for peaking, even though I don't believe in peaking. There's a place for a six-week bikini boot camp, even though I might not necessarily think it has any value. There might be a place for a, a really hard, really strict two- to four-week diet, even though I know that generally the person's going to rebound out of it. But all those things have value in the big picture of things. Uh, in, in the ideal world, you would probably, in the ideal workout, in the weight room, probably the Olympic squat snatch, the Olympic clinic jerk, and farmer walks. Thank you very much. See you later. Uh, no one would do it, of course. Uh, there might be an ideal kettlebell workout. Swing, gobble, squat, and half kneeling presses, probably. That'd be, that's pretty good. But again, if you did that for four years, you'd be putting bullets in your head. You'd be so, you'd be so bored. A coach years ago discovered that he felt that the perfect uh, distance for all of his runners was 200 meters. So his whole program did nothing but 200-meter repeats. And everybody quit. Now, here's the funny thing. That coach might have been right, but no one could stand it. So when it comes to something like isolation, weave it into your program in an intelligent manner. Either take six weeks aside and do nothing but isolation. By the way, not a bad, not a bad answer. Hmm. Or weave it into daily, weekly templates, however you do it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of like what Tom, Tommy Kono would do. Eight weeks of Olympic lifting, five basic weeks of bodybuilding. Eight, five, eight, five, eight, five. And then do that a few times and then take a few weeks off. Um, still a big fan of that kind of thing. The idea that bodybuilding isn't right or wrong, Olympic lifting isn't right or wrong, but when you blend them together, good things tend to happen, yeah. generally. Now, at the highest end of sport, specificity rules, but at a very high price. If you're going to be an elite discus thrower, you're going to have, as I have, hip problems. You might have a knee. You probably have an elbow. You probably have a wrist, and you probably have a shoulder. That's just that's just that's the price you pay for wanting to throw stuff far. Yeah, there was there. We only have a couple minutes left, and there was okay. one 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 question I really wanted to get to, and curiosity for my for myself especially. Um, in the in the book, you had some kind of like strength baselines for people yeah. you know so like you should be able to pick up twice your body weight you know as a, yeah. as a guy and you should be you know so I, i'm curious for you do you have some type of most effective best way to to get strength you know to be able to increase yeah. your deadlift increase your squat things like that yeah well yeah. i'm not i think i'm with greg cook on this you need to maintain your squat but increase your hinge uh, it's funny uh, with the hinge is that you can do kettlebell swings and improve your deadlift. You can deadlift and improve your deadlift. You can drag sleds and improve your deadlift. It seems that deadlifts, from what I'm looking at, from what I'm listening, from all the, <laughs> what is that guy calling it, uh, Game of Thrones? I don't know. I never all, my <laughs> all, all my little birds or all my little sparrows, uh, I'm listening to all my little sparrows, uh, is that... <laughs> You can improve the hinge. You can improve the pull-up. 
by hundreds and thousands and dozens of ways. But the idea is you got to buy in and do something. Hmm. And uh, just, you know, doing more bench press and curls isn't going to improve your hinge. But I tell you one thing, dragging a sled for a mile, that's going to improve your hinge. Hmm. How? I don't know. And that's a big, I got to tell you, man, it's called epistemology and it's a big part. It's how do you know what you know? And a big part of being a strength coach is that it comes down sometimes, I don't know why, but it works, so we've got to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. And so <laughs> with the deadlift, you know, I only deadlifted truly three times in my life. All three were based with well, two were bets, and one was a state weightlifting meet. Uh, and I just said, it was three o'clock in the morning on Sunday because powerlifting meets go on forever. A guy missed with 622, and I asked the judge, what's heavier? He said 628, and that's why I, my deadlift is 628 because hmm. uh, we all wanted to go home. So I have a big deadlift without ever trading the deadlift because I Olympic lifted. I think what I'm trying to say is if that you have the hinge family and the loaded carry family in your performance training, good things happen. Hmm. Now, if you're working with someone who's my age, 59, you want to probably have them do push, pull, and squat. You want them to train like a bodybuilder because at my age, hypertrophy, just uh, lean body mass is the problem. Um, you get fat by breathing. You lose muscle mass by sneezing uh, at my age. So, But once you get someone my age to have some lean body mass return, then you have to have a conversation, literally a conversation with them. Do you, what kind of what kind of advanced years do you want? What kind of quality of life? I still get phone calls from people to move couches. I'm always the oldest person moving couches, you know. <laughs> but I had chose years ago to maintain my work capacity. Um, I still can snatch and clean and jerk pretty well. Not great, not like I used to. And really, it's not from my muscles; it's from the joint injuries. So. I hope you can hear the difference here. For hypertrophy, for lean body mass, the push, the pull, and the squat. So if you're a mountain climber uh, or a, a, a rock climber, push, pull, and squat might actually hurt. Now, the movements are valuable, but trying to get, trying to put on 50 pounds as a rock climber is probably not a good idea. Over here, these next two movements, the hinge and the loaded carry family, which will improve performance. And of course, there's that sixth movement over here, which is everything else, usually like tumbling and groundwork, brachiating, monkey bars, and things like that. Everything else that doesn't fit in the weight room, that would have value for every. At my age, the most dangerous thing I do every day is shower. Sure. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Statistically, it's showering. It's right. the most dangerous. Um, if you were to say, Dan, you should eat oatmeal for breakfast, I'd say, why? You'll live longer. Statistically, a bowl of bacon versus a bowl of oatmeal at my age has no difference. Yeah. Putting my hand up on the wall as I enter a shower, making sure my foot doesn't hit a slick spot, statistically is a much better thing for me to do. Yeah. Where, yeah. So, so when you get to performance, it's hinge and loaded carry. And I know I keep repeating it, but very few people understand the yeah. Oh, it rounds back to the initial, the, the quote of, you know, what separates the elite is the, the mastery of the basic stuff. The, yeah. You know, the thing that, the thing that you mentioned, and, and now, now we're, now we're over time, but I can, I can mm. cut some of this stuff out. But um, with the epistemological perspective on things, it's like, we need to have the correct tools for the job. We need to have the know-how of how to use the tools. And then the piece that is less tangible and people kind of divert away from is the belief around that. And we can, we can do it, you know, and like, this is the best approach, you know, by, by having that belief, I think that's a huge component that we just kind of overlook because you can't pick it up. It's not a kettlebell. Yeah. And of course, on the belief side, then that, that's a topic for another time because that's, that's. That's where I get into all those other areas about practice versus performance. And I've watched so many good people just throw away their careers because right. they, <laughs> they practice here and perform here. And uh, that just starts to just cut away at your, well, you said belief, but it just cuts away. I, I love to use the word fractals. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and it comes from Jurassic Park. But you know, um, you know, we all show up. Oh, look, dinosaurs! How happy we are! One dinosaur eats person. Oh, a person's dead. But hey, look, more dinosaurs. Ten people dead. Oh, this isn't so fun anymore. But at least we're safe now. And then the the uh, raptors show up. So many people in their career fractal themselves into losing the belief that, and, and my job as a coach is to constantly, constantly have performance trump practice. Right. Yeah. Good trumps evil. Yes. Yeah. yeah I like that. Yeah. So how do? thank you so much. Uh, sure. Firstly. And then how do people find more about your work, website, books, stuff like that? Sure. Danjohn.net or just go on Amazon. I'm, you know, you can find me there. Yeah. Cool. Right. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I'd love to continue the conversation at some okay. point in the future. It'd be cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks so much again. It was, hey, you it was bet. Great. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Glad this worked out. It was, I thought it was very easy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. I'll see you soon. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body as well. Be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.